What is up, everybody? You are checking out the Uncensored Pro Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Ant, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host. It's Josh again from Sharpshooters and Stunners Podcast. Check us out anywhere where you can listen to podcasts, and uh, it's happy to be back. Yes, sir. Sharp sharpshooters and stunners i'm not even high and i feel like i'm like a little like out of it this morning. <laughs> terrible but yo a fucking awesome podcast definitely check that out it's a good podcast to kind of just hear sort of like in-depth information thoughts on the company and just what's going around with wwe and everything because there's a lot and you also do you guys cover you guys cover a little bit of AEW too right or is it just WWE? yeah 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 we cover yeah. AEW. So there you go. So like, just go one shop stop for all wrestling needs. Sharpshooters and stunners, hit them up. All right. So we are here. We're finally at WrestleMania 14, X-rated. Yes, I'm excited. Um, I'm ready to get X-rated because things have been a little with the whole, by the way, this is the day after Raw that was supposed to be PG-14 or not TV-14. What'd you think, Josh? (laughs) Well, they they can backtrack the same day and they canceled the plans for it. So, uh, if anybody didn't catch that, they tuned in the raw and they were sorely disappointed. Um, for anybody who understands the rating system, though, and and on TV, there's not much difference between PG, PG 13, and TV 14, like, very little difference. Like, like it's literally like two cuss words and uh where you place them and how you use them and uh sexual innuendos and stuff like that like there's not much difference yeah i mean it's funny i was i was looking at somebody who um was and i'm i have this mic so don't mind if i talk into it um i was looking on someone's facebook and they were like i can't wait for what to be tv 14 tonight i can't wait to see what they're gonna do and um i was like You know, good wishful thinking, but like you're, you said, even if they did go to PG-14, there wouldn't be much of a difference. I mean, more blood, maybe. You sexual, I think you know. from what I understand is Kevin Dunn's tired of going back and editing and bleeping out the the stuff that, like, you have a, you have a limit. The, the TV, the, the I, I can't remember who uh, gives the rating system out, but you have a limit on what you're allowed to say and when you're allowed to say it like in certain time frames so if you are exceeding that limit then the whoever's the director has to go in and edit that out bleep it out and it's a, it is a hassle i think yeah. i think that was one of the rumors going around is kevin dunn's tired of going in there because some of the guys some of the guys are going off script on the on their promos in wwe more and more so uh i think he's just wanting the go yeah. in there and nip it in the bud so he doesn't have to do as much work and debbie i mean and i've said this before we talked to off air like it, the wwe's been doing this for over what like 13 years now maybe doing mm-hmm. you know pg they're not gonna randomly just one day say ah tv 14 and then that one day everything's gonna change i feel like there would be a lot more to it to that because the stakeholders shareholders whatever all that stuff we talked but yeah so i mean i it was a decent i mean i didn't watch it yet but from what i saw and what i heard it was a decent raw so it's all right no no hating it's good it was still you know it was all right but yeah so who was the guy that reported it was gonna be like that wasn't there 
Um, oh, I can't remember. He's the one that's been breaking a lot of the uh, Sasha Banks story oh. over the last two months and everything like that. I can't remember his name. So they think uh, because he knew about that, he's all knowing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I remember he's, he's probably friends with like a, a shareholder or somebody in the production crew and <clears throat> heard it through the grapevine and started reporting it. And, yeah, you know, that's how a lot of uh, dirt sheets happen to happen. To I actually things. I was my own dirt sheet because and it was fun. I was on my way to New York. Right. And um, I was on the, the train and there was these two dudes talking near me and they were talking about WWE. So, of course, my ears perked up and Dory, my fiance, is trying to talk to me. I'm just like, shut up. I'm trying to listen. I'm like, and I guess they did like editing like a videos and stuff. It's like they, they were talking about how they did the promo for Gunther and they're like, oh, yeah, I, you know, they were telling you I had to do that really quick. But I actually knew that charlotte was potentially gonna lose and then take time off because on the train the guy's like yeah charlotte's taking time off after she gets married so we have to you know do da, 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 da. and so i'm sitting there and i'm like yes extra points for me because now i know Ronda's gonna win um but yeah it's always fun when you get those little but i actually was looking on the wrestling observer and you gotta pay like 20 dollars, or is it 20 or is it 12 i don't know something it's, like that it's pretty it's high up there just watch like i don't like to be spoiled i like to just you know enjoy it and just see for myself i've never done the dirt sheets and i hate when that happens but i i don't mind being spoiled i if you're gonna spoil it though do it unbiasedly and Meltzer tends to not do it unbiasedly he made uh excalibur the best announcer of 2022 listen i i've watched so i've I started watching AEW weekly. I, I catch it here and there since it started, but weekly I've been watching it all this year. I don't go, I don't look forward to listening to Excalibur. Like I'm not tuning in because I want to hear Excalibur's insights on wrestling. I will tune in the SmackDown because uh, Pat McAfee, McAfee yeah. is on commentary because yes. I like the way he hypes up. He makes everything feel important. Technically, is he a great announcer? No, he doesn't do the, he doesn't, he's not going to call a hold for hold, you know? Yeah, he's not color. He's not the color. Is that your color? typical color guy, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But he makes everything feel like a big match. Yeah. But he's a good yang to he's a good yin to Cole Yang because Yang yeah. does all the color and he's just like the, the cool king, you know, relaxing friend, chilling, pumping us up. Like we need that because we're yeah. all like that too. You want that sort of vibe. Yeah, Caliper's cool, but he kind of is just like doesn't really bring anything to it. He's just like, yeah, and there's a Frankensteiner, or like, you know, like there's no like there's a Frankensteiner, buddy. You know, like Joey Styles would pump shit up too, man. Like, yeah. Get us going. Uh yeah, I hear I like I I hear him say 20 tope suicidas <laughs> in one night, you know. Excalibur. Yeah, it's a it, it's a little much. I was actually watching Botch Mania and I couldn't believe how many times they dove onto Miro and he just kept catching them. And I'm like, really? This is what they're doing here in this match. Like three different people died. We're talking about AEW. We're supposed to be covering WrestleMania 14. We're in the future, I guess. Um, so let's talk about WrestleMania 14. So we're finally here, March 29th, 1998, Boston, Massachusetts, X-rated, 
And uh, the first match is the 14-team Battle Royal. Winning team gets a shot at the tag team titles. A lot of teams in there. See the new Midnight Express in there. I think you saw Farouk with um, somebody. Farouk was with Kama, and yep. Mark Henry was with D'Lo, I believe. Yeah. Um, headbangers, I think, were in there. Godwins were in there. I'm a, like just a ton of tag back. And then you had so, and then you had some rando teams thrown yeah. together, like uh, uh, Bradshaw was in there with Chains from wow. Disciples of Apocalypse. What about Jeff Jarrett? Did we ever find out who was he was not in this match? He was, he was not, not in this match. match. No. So then uh, they were lying to us then. That's interesting. Okay. JR has been messing up for 30 plus years. JR, man, come on. No, I was actually laughing because, again, I was watching Botchmania and we were talking about last week how uh, Excalibur was Excalibur or William Regal. William Regal called Brian Danielson Daniel Bryan. He goes, Great, you're rubbing off on me now. And I love that because it's like he's saying right next to Jim Ross. It's like you're rubbing off on me now. Um, anyways, yeah, but one team that came out that was supposedly a surprise because they were out for a couple weeks was LOD 2000 with Sunny, though. Interesting seeing her. And uh, pretty much LOD 2000 get the win, eliminating the new Midnight Express. What did you think of this match? And what did you think of LOD returning with Sunny? Interesting. I'm a, the older I get, the more appreciation I have for this version of Sunny. At, at the age I'm at now, you give me this Sunny over Sable any day. Oh, with the whole like weird sort of like, was she sort of being like Aztec and like what was it supposed to be? It was like a it's weird. It's supposed to be, I, I I have no idea. She's supposed <laughs> to match LOD, that new look, that new, new style. And it, her own just, version of it just worked for me. What was Farouk's name when he first was it Farouk when he came? Farouk Asad, right? Farouk, that, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. her version of it, the gladiator princess sort of a. Thing. So yeah, LOD is definitely gonna get tag title shots. I mean, you kind of knew they were gonna win. They were like the only team that got an entrance, right? Like maybe two teams got an entrance or something like yeah. that. But LOD two thousand, man, fuck it up, man. I remember seeing Sunny and and this this is a memorable you know look and a memorable time because they always show that scene of them winning back in the day on tapes. But now that we're old, they don't show that anymore. Now they show stuff from like 2003 and you're like, wow, I'm old. But anyways, yeah. So good start to WrestleMania 14. Kind of just playing everyone in there. 14 team battle Royal, but yes, LED 2000 get the win. Next, we have the light heavyweight title, the champion Taka Michinoku defending against Aguila. And just a couple quick notes here. Aguila kneels a hurricane run and a spinning heel kick. And then a really cool Asai moonsault to Taka outside. Taka drop kicks Aguila and nails a flying dive outside as well. Taka misses a moonsault. And then Aguila nails a flying Hurricane Rana. Aguila jumps off the top, but is met with a drop kick. And then Taka nails a Michinoku driver and Taka retains. This is a good uh, like heavyweight match. Not as good as the cruiserweight matches, I think, in WCW. But they were, uh, you could definitely tell. They put they these two are not used to having, you know, less than like this was less than six minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, trying to fit trying to fit five uh, ten pounds into a five pound bag in this match. Uh, for those of you that don't know, though, Aguila is the future Sa Rios. Yes, Papi Chulo. Papi Chulo, yeah. <laughs> um. So. So yeah, so he's been doing it then. So he, so I wonder he, when did he leave in two thousand and two or oh one? 
somewhere around somewhere around a one because he was with Lita for a bit. Yeah. See, I liked S.A. Rios better than Aguila. Oh yeah, because he got more of a he got he did a lot way more shit on screen. Yeah, than he did. He was still doing a lot more going over to Mexico and stuff like that. So we split a lot of his time. Yeah. And I've noticed too, a lot of the pay-per-views were sort of like built on one match. Whereas now like every sort of match, like sort of has a purpose. The thing is with this match, like they didn't really build. It was just kind of like, okay, these guys are two good, like heavyweights. He's a champion. He's going to fight him. There was no, from what I saw, no reason why they were fighting, but. Well, the last uh, appearance of, both of these two, I think, were on two Raws prior to this. Yeah. And I don't think they were on it at all oh. for a few weeks before then. So this kind of. And they happened. were a tag team, too. Yeah. Maybe something yeah. happened on Shotgun Saturday night. Probably. But they were doing a lot of a lot of that stuff. A lot of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, like, I'm covering Sunday Night Heat. And I'm not watching all of it. But I'm just like, all right, B-show, B-show, B-show. All right. Next, we have Jennifer Flowers backstage interviewing the rock and the rock talks about what he would do if he ran the white house and he just says silly stuff for those of you who don't know jennifer flowers uh had an affair with bill clinton who was our president at the time of the united states and uh she had an affair like what back in like the early 90s and now just kind of i think this was like i think this was the late 80s and i think this came out right before right as he was running for president yes sir so he so they're just kind of get more heads I guess to buy, I mean, no one really, that's what she said. Uh, nobody really, um, I mean, I didn't know who Jennifer Flowers was growing up until, you know, as I got older, but, you know, she's just trying to be a little cheeky with The Rock and The Rock just talking about how he would run the White House. What did you think of this? It was entertaining, uh, giving The Rock a different, make him feel, he makes him feel like he's a bigger deal. You could definitely tell where, what direction that the rock's going to be going in in the coming months mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the rock is a shit man love the rock and jennifer flowers man she'll be back you'll see her in a little bit uh next up we have the wwe european championship on the line the champion the game triple h defending against owen hart the black heart and china is with triple h however she will be handcuffed to commissioner slaughter during this match and we already know some sort of hooligans is going to happen Match starts with Owen Hart in control. He nails a Hurricane Rana. China tries to punch Owen, but she can't because Slaughter has her. Um, Owen then sends Triple H into the railing. Triple H nails a knee lift and a clothesline and a running knee to the face. And then um, Triple H nails a DDT and he attacks Owen's injured ankle and he applies a lake submission. Now, you brought up a good point, and I didn't know this. He Technically, shouldn't have been wrestling at this point, Owen Hart. Probably not. Like, I was watching his entrance. Yeah, and you can see the swelling through his boot. I have to go Stated. back, but when you said that, I, you know, as I'm reading the notes, because remember, I'm kind of, I don't remember a lot of this. So as I'm reading notes, I'm like, yo, he's fucking taking all this shit, and he's now. What was it that he was? It his ankle that he injured? It, it, yeah, it was like it was like a high. I think he had a high and low ankle sprain. Like he had them both. Like he's. It, 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 he was in a lot of pain trying to walk. I've done that before. It's it's you no fun. That. You, anytime you see someone like roll their ankle and like, <laughs> oh, and I fucking saw it. I saw it because they. I was looking up because I was looking to do pick like edit the pictures I post for our thumbnails, and they show like a close up and they circle it where his ankle and yeah. oh. Yeah, that was like some Sid vicious shit. And if I, he had, if he had twenty 
25, 30 more pounds on him, it would have been a, oh. Sid, a Sid Vicious. Oh, my God, yeah. I still can't watch that. Every time I go oh. go to watch that pay-per-view, I skip over that. I can't, oh. I can't do it. I can't. Yeah, I know. I get, I get squeamish. Yeah. Um, but you probably remember the impact. <laughs> um, so Owen's nose is bleeding at this point and, uh, he nails a missile drop kick and a belly to belly and ends a gurry. Uh, Owen then applies a sharpshooter, but China then helps Triple H get to the ropes and then China tosses powder and commissioner slaughters eyes. She slaps Owen heart and then hits a low blow. Triple H nails a pedigree and he retains the European title. So we knew Chai was going to in some way, shape, or form get involved. What did you think? It's pretty unique. They're really going after like each each pay-per-view that, it, that has Triple H on it. You can see they're giving China more and more to do. Um, those janky ass handcuffs, though. Yeah, like yeah. if you look at it at the end of the match, she she's holding it there, trying to get the uh, Tim White to take the take the handcuffs off of them off of her, and uh, she can easily just slip her wrist right. Through. Yeah, it, they weren't even like really tight. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> and then she like lets go of it, kind of like when she bends the cage. You'll see that. Um, so did you like at the time? Did you like like want H to win, or were you rooting for Owen? Look, I was a uh, – I've always been a Shawn Michaels fan. Yeah. Even when he was a heel. So, when he did – when him and Triple H started doing the whole DX thing, I was – I became a Triple H fan by proxy. Suck Nice. Yeah, Triple H – listen, I've never – I've never hated on Triple H. Again, the only time I've thought negatively of him was when he was talking about China. But other than that, like – he did what he did. Like when you think of the 2000s, you think of Triple H. Like it's, and you know, it's not a bad thing. I mean, a lot of people say he's not a good wrestler, but who is a good wrestler? You know, like there's some Brad, that Bret Hart doesn't think he's a good wrestler. Well, Bret Hart, you know, I'm sorry, you're a great wrestler, but that's your opinion. You know, <laughs> like that's your opinion, buddy. We, we, you also think fucking you hate on Goldberg, which Goldberg, I'm sorry, I think is a piece of shit. I really don't. I, I respect him for knowing that he's not a great in-ring performer, but it just pisses me off that, like, he knows he sucks and doesn't care to improve. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to go out there for five minutes. What I got to do? Like, more power to you. But, like, dude, you're, like, undefeated. You're a big icon. Care a little bit more. Like, he's like, yeah, I was really into football. Like, great. <laughs> but this is pro wrestling now. Like, but anyways. Man, what is up with all these wrestlers talking shit? All right. Speaking of wrestlers, I get shit talk a lot. Sable and Marvelous Mark Merrow come out to take on the stiff team of Luna Vachon and the artist formerly known as Golas. And you talked about the fucking shots that Luna was given Sable um, last week on Raw before this match. And before the match starts, we see Vinny Pazienza in the crowd, former boxing boxer whatever i didn't really see any of his stuff so i wouldn't know but luna runs away from sable to start the match um and then sable ends up kicking coldest in the face sable then takes down luna and she kicks Luna in the corner and tosses her across the ring and then she clotheslines luna over the top rope and then Mero nails a low blow to Goldust, and it's a tko but Goldust nails the ddt instead and gets a two count Mero running knee lift and a springboard moonsault. 
And then Luna flies off the top rope, but lands on Goldust. And then Sable nails a power bomb and gets a two. Luna attacks Sable from behind, who then Sable is able to maneuver and hit a TKO, pinning Luna. Sable and Mira win. Not a long match, sort of just to, like you said, to get Sable on the show. But what do you think? Uh, it perplexes me how these, how this group got more time than Taka and the Aguila. No, it wasn't pretty. Yeah, uh, and the thing too, it's not like she was featured a lot. Sable, like if they featured her a lot, then maybe. But like Sable was over though. Yeah, so over. It didn't matter. I like. I hear. I remember watching, uh, listening to podcast with Bruce Pritchard, and he talked about uh, sometime at a little bit after this, Stone Cold's walking down the aisle, and Sable's walking up the aisle, and they just stop, cross each other, and they look at each other, and the, he says the fans go bug fuck, like they just went nuts, and that's that's the kind of power. Sable was selling T-shirts. All you had to do if you yeah. wanted to upsell some T-shirts, have her go out with that T-shirt. I remember too, like in 03, when she came back and I first heard about it, I was like, oh shit, Sable. And I was in 03, I was like, what? Like 12, not even 12. I was like eight, maybe like nine. I don't know, I'm bad math. So for someone who didn't grow up in that era to know how important she was, yeah, she definitely was icon. So yeah, she definitely was an icon and definitely Sable is important and someone that I would uh, want to uh, be in that sort of role so I definitely love Sable think she's awesome and uh, you know what a lot of people sue WWE it happens you know business is business you know that's how I look at it I try to look at things even at my job like when I don't like people you gotta just I just, you know. I just love I love the fact that she sued uh, WWE for sexual harassment and then came back five years later or whatnot and was put in the same situation <laughs> like you know and, and the thing is like um i just i don't know i feel the thing is like what was she who was she saying was harassing her she didn't say i think it uh i don't know if, i have an idea like if you ever listen to vince russo talk about sable like he might have been slightly obsessed oh well, I mean, every, like, the thing is, like, the thing with Sable, and here's the only thing I felt, and I think you're, I think you're kind of right, because any single time she was out, she was always taking off her clothes. Most of the time when she's out there, her clothes are off. You don't have to have an attractive, sexy woman come out and constantly take her clothes off to promote her appeal, you know, like. A look at the women today. A lot of men find the women attract, or you know, females find the women attract. You know, they don't, but they're not always like naked. So in like, all, in all so fairness, man. though, they did it to just about every woman that came after Sable for the next ten years. You're right, but they did focus a lot on Sable's boobs. Her double, her double, what was it? Her triple, what was it? Triple dirty D, what was it? Whatever silicone they fit in there, buddy. Oh my god, it was like the the highest, and I was like, they they kept talking about it. I'm like, damn, Sable, Sable bombed me. Well, there you go. Vince Russo probably got a couple of Sable bombs. I wonder I mean, if, if you if you notice the the raw before this, he's the guy standing in the ring awarding that plaque with the plaque, Sable. Vic Venom. So 
of course, he booked that he was the writer at that time. He booked himself to be in the ring with Sable. That's interesting. That's that that's yeah. See, I like how I get the inside scoop. All right. So we then get Jeff Jarrett coming out to the ring with Jennifer Flowers, and there's really no like reason for him to be out there except for just walking her down. <laughs> and then she takes the microphone and completely just shits on like does the rock, like does a horrible like a bird like calling out the people's names. But she's the announcer for this next match, and it's the Intercontinental title, the Intercontinental Champion of the Rock with the Nation of Domination taking on Ken Shamrock. And in this match, if The Rock is disqualified, he will lose the title. Farouk does not join the nation and The Rock for this match. He stays backstage. The match starts and Ken Shamrock kicks Rock in the face and nails a clothesline to the outside. Rock tries to leave, but Ken Shamrock attacks him, sending him into the railing. And then Ken Shamrock sends Rock's face into the steps and into the canvas. He bounces his head off. Rock then sets Ken Shamrock into the steps as well and nails a people's elbow and gets a two count. Surprise, that didn't end the match. Um, during this point, a referee, the head, the referee's head gets knocked into the post, and the rock nails Ken Shamrock with a chair and gets a two count. Ken Shamrock then nails a power slam and applies an ankle lock. The rock taps out, but the ref if, where is the ref at this point? Like he's just like not like knocked out at this point still. I thought he just made a two count. Anyways, Nation run out, and Ken Shermock takes out the Nation members with suplexes, and then Shermock applies the ankle lock again. Farouk comes down, gets on the apron, and then he hops off. He's just basically like, you know what, Rock? Then free yourself. Rock is now bleeding from the mouth. Shamrock attacks the referees again, and uh, Rock is stretchered out, and the referee reverses the decision, and the title goes to the Rock. So, okay, here's what happened. Sorry. That's where I got fucked up. Ken Shamrock wins the match at first because Rock taps out, right? But then after that, he loses his shit and he starts attacking the referees and then they reverse the decision. So then after that, Shamrock attacks the Rock off the stretcher and tosses him into the DX band stage because earlier on in the night, DX performed America the Beautiful. Well, not DX, the DX band. Uh, and then Shamrock holds up the title and tosses it to the Rock. So Shamrock keeps getting fucked around with his title. Did you think he deserved it, or do you think that this is a good story of Rock continuing to get the one-ups on Shamrock? I think that Shamrock isn't the focus in this whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, it's the Rock and Farouk, and they're jockeying for position in the in the nation. Um, I I think with at the end of this match, I think over the last year, they did the same thing with uh, Ken Shamrock and the British Bulldog. Um, what, eight months prior at SummerSlam. Mm -hmm. um, the whole uh, losing your shit at the end of the match after you get a win is kind of getting a little played out with Ken Shamrock at this time. Yeah. Um, the I think the fans want to see him beat the Rock and get get the title. Uh, not sure why it didn't happen here. Um, because he, I think he does get the title from The Rock, but he doesn't have a very long reign because The Rock's the champ going into SummerSlam later on in the year. So, I, I don't know, man. I, it has they're they're building up The Rock. I think Ken Shamrock's kind of an afterthought. They don't want to lose momentum on Shamrock, but they don't want to take the title off The Rock. So. 
let's do a schmoz finish. Yeah, yeah. I just feel like they should have at least had him won once, fair, and then, because it's like you said, it's kind of getting old now. He keeps, why are you getting mad? You just won the title. <laughs> like, I get you're mad because you got maybe screwed over, but you just won the fucking title, and now you lost it. Like, I I don't so I'm, I look at this, like I'm looking at it at the age of Matt now, like back then I didn't understand, but if you look at it, if you're watching it now, like to be a fighter or, or, or any type of uh, professional athlete, you have to have some form of discipline. And I, I don't understand how Ken Shamrock automatically goes from a career of nothing but discipline to not being disciplined at all, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, and, you know, when he I'm sure he lost some of his UFC MMA battles, whatever it was. And you're right. You never see him like throwing shit. And like, I get it's fake, but you're right. Like, there has to be some kind of continuality of like, um, you know, who they are as a person, kind of. I don't know. Especially since they're using his real name, too, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. But. All right, we're going to talk about the tag match, and then we're going to talk a little bit about what was going on in March of 1998. So the next match is a WWF Tag Team Titles dumpster match. I know you were looking forward to this one. The Tag Team Champions, the New Age Outlaws, defending against Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie. A couple quick notes here. Uh, Charlie sends uh, Billy Gunn into the steps, and then Cactus Jack then sends Road Dog onto the dumpster and then lands some running needs. Road Dog nails Cactus Jack with a metal pan, and then Cactus Jack cannonballs um, himself onto the dumpster trying to attack um, people. Then, um, sorry, I got distracted by something. Don't mind me. Billy Gunn then backdrops Chainsaw Charlie into the hello, uncensored. Hi. This is my life, people. <laughs> Why do people call? Don't call. We are in the middle of an uncensored pro wrestling podcast, people. This is important. Okay? Come on. Josh, what are we going to do, man? Just a popular guy. This is, this is fucking not right. Oh, fuck everybody. Okay? And myself right now. Okay? Sorry. Back to the match. And by the way, it's no one important either. It's a spam rest that keeps fucking calling me. It's not even like it's like someone important or it's spam. Fuck you. Okay. So Billy Gunn backdrops Chainsaw Charlie into a dumpster, and then Rotong nails a Russian leg sweep onto the dumpster. Uh, and then Chainsaw Charlie nails Billy Gunn with a cookie pan. And then Cassius Jack jumps off the apron with the pan onto Billy Gunn outside. A lot of just like hardcore shit in the fan. Cassius Jack and Billy Gunn fight on top of a ladder, but they get knocked off and they both go into the dumpster. New Age Outlaws then power bomb chains on Charlie into the dumpster, and the end comes after Jack nails a double arm DDT on Billy Gunn in the backstage area on a forklift. He then puts Road Dog on the forklift as well, and then Chainsaw Charlie lifts up the like what is it like a fucking wooden pallet, and then he basically dumps both men into the dumpster. Catches Jack, closes the lid, and your new WWE Tag Team Champions. Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie. That was a lot to cover there. A lot of fucking action, man. But it's Cactus Jack and Terry Funk, so why not? So you go ahead. Tell me so, where 
Go ahead. You remember? I don't. I don't know if it was the the last Raw that we watched or the Raw before that, but you brought up that you noticed that Terry Funk got hurt in that match, his back or his hip or whatever. If you notice, when they got backstage, his shirt was coming up. You could see a big old bruise. And uh, the story goes that this bruise went from, like, his kidney area on his back all the way down his fucking leg. Oh, shit. What was it like um, some kind of, like, um, like what type of injury? Not injury, but was it just th- a bruise or was it like I a- think it was – I think he had – I think he bruised his kidney. And then I think he had um, – some ligament tear and then it, it, it did exactly what cody's uh peck did oh it my started god bleeding down the uh, down the uh, appendages and stuff so and he's not a young guy either so yeah. you know i i will say looking at like wrestling now because i was just watching a sergeant slaughter match from 98 slaughter's what in 98 like 50 like maybe like late 40s no, uh, right. yeah, he's probably probably late forties. Yeah, fucking Sergeant Slaughter, Triple H. I'm like just sitting here, and I'm like the way that like wrestlers, the ability they have to continue to fight after. Because Sergeant Slaughter, when when did he retire? Like ninety four, maybe. Yeah, somewhere around there. And like you know, after that, he just fucking fell off the wagon. Didn't care. He's like you know, and that just shows you like how much more the industry can do today you know you don't need to just be a wrestler you can do acting now you can have merchandise you can do all this stuff but it was just it's, it's just weird seeing even cowboy bob orton the father when he came back in like 06 right or 05 he looked like he was on death's door now granted he's like in his 60s but you see some of these other guys like sting is close to 60 like holy cow you know it, it, it's it's just a difference. It's weird, but anyways, but did you like this match? I know you were looking forward to it when it did happen. I I enjoyed going back and watching this match. Um, didn't have the same energy. I was l- noticing, like, looking at some of the times on these match matches, uh, going back and, like, remembering how I f- felt when I was watching these. Man, I felt like these matches were, like, the longest matches in the world. You have, like, half the, half the card so far hasn't gone over 10 minutes. Yeah, you know, um, and this is this this match in particular just barely went over ten minutes. So uh, going back and looking at it, it was uh, really interesting. I, I love it when I love when uh, talent uses uh, stuff you would think you would find backstage, like like a forklift, yeah. uh, to to use as their as a weapon or a way to get the the win. That's why I enjoyed the. Uh, uh, Kevin Owens, uh, Roman Reigns, last man standing match or yeah. from uh, last year's Royal Rumble. They, they like lock him to the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, they used a forklift there too, didn't they like do something with like a car or something? Yeah, yeah. Something. So, no. Go ahead. I, I, it was, it, it's interesting. I love it when they do stuff like that because it's just, it, I think it adds to the realism, honestly. Yeah. It's out of the box, too. Like, yeah. who thinks of using a forklift unless a real sick person's like, you know, I'm going to fuck this person up and use a forklift on your ass. Yeah. <laughs> but did it live to your expectations, though? Like, do you? Uh, it wasn't as good as I remembered it being. But okay. again, you know, you have the hindsight 2020. And I've probably seen this match like fucking six times in point. my life. So, yeah. Um, uh, you watch a lot of, uh, it, but you're also comparing it to 
uh, then to today. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's kind of it's kind of hard. I I, I yeah. still try to go back and think of the feeling I got when I was watching this match at 11 years old. So yeah, I enjoyed going back and watching it. Me too. Like I think today, like a, a lot of I'm weird. I don't feel like matches need to go 30 minutes if there's a good story and the match is good. Mm-hmm. Like I think a lot of people were raving about. I could be wrong. Sammy Guevara versus Darby Allen a couple of years back. I think they had a match on a pay per view, and the match was maybe like three minutes, but it like was just nonstop. Another match that was short: Dynamite Kid and Tiger Mask back in like '82 or eight, I don't know when that was, but around that time, they weren't that long, but they told a great story. Um, nowadays, like with AEW, like every tag match is going to be at least 20 minutes, at least. Yeah. And you don't need to always do that. I think you can tell a good story without it being, I think this did tell a good story. This match, I told like, you know, they got their revenge. They were using things that would make sense to cactus Jack and James all Charlie, um, new age outlaws, man, but there will be a comeback. Something will happen. Something will happen. Well, speaking of things happening, we're going to take a quick break from WrestleMania, and we're going to talk about the top 10 movies and music of of March 1998. So we'll start with music, and our top 10 songs coming in at number 10, What You Want by Maze. Never heard of that one. Is that a rap? What you want, motherfucker, what you want? Um, Next, we have Deja Vu, Uptown Baby, coming in at number 9. By Lord Tana. Never heard of that one. Deja vu. Coming at number eight, Gone Till November by Wyclef Jean. Again, don't know that one. And I. It's it's pronounced John. John. Wyclef Jean. Jean Valjean. What's that? uh, uh, 40601. Right? Isn't that fucking um, Lemis? Uh, all right. Uh, number seven, Let's Ride by Montel Jordan. Number six, we have Truly Madly Deeply by Savage Garden. I know that one. I want to lay like this. <laughs> of number five, Frozen by Madonna. Don't know that one. Number four, My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. We know that one, obviously. Number three, No, No, No by Destiny's Child. And then our top two songs, number two, Nice and Slow by Usher. Yes. And coming in at number one, Getting Jiggy With It by Will Smith. Na, 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 He was singing after he slapped uh, Chris Rock. Getting Jiggy With It. <laughs> That's what his wife, yo, his uh, wife is such a toxic bitch. Jada, if you are listening, I'm glad you don't have no hair and you are bald. Keep it moving. Next, our top 10 movies of March 1998. All right. Number 10, Mr. Nice Guy. Never saw that. Number nine, The Newton Boys, or I don't know how that's pronounced. Number eight, U.S. Marshals. Number seven, Good Will Hunting. That's that. I haven't seen it, but I know it's uh, what's his name? Um, fuck. Uh, Robin Williams and the other dude, um, Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Yes, sir. Thank you. Number six, as good as it gets. Never saw that, but I know it's dying, isn't Jack, it? Dying? Jack Nicholson. Yep. Is that a good one? Never saw it. The, the, as good as it gets is Jack Nicholson and Hel- uh, Helen Hunt. Yes. 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 
Never saw I've, it. I've never seen it. I just know I, it's one of those things that as you're constantly watching pay-per-view and stuff as, as a kid, that's one of those things that constantly that pop up. up. This is what I know you saw and one that I think a lot of other guys have seen. Number five, Wild Things. Oh my God. I mean, if you're a lesbian too, you probably watch this as well. So more power to you, right? Fucking yeah. rock, rock the vote. Fucking yeah. why not? It's Denise Richards and Neve Campbell, you said. And I think I know, like, I know this scene that you're talking about now that you've mentioned it. I just didn't know what Wild Things was. Um, but I do feel like I remember her. I think she was a James Bond girl. I remember her on that. Denise Richards. All right, number four, The Man in the Iron Mask. That's Leonardo That's DiCaprio. Such right? a bad movie. Never saw it. Number three, primary colors, which never saw. I don't know. Primary colors, blue. Um, number two, this is a re-release. Grease. Grease came out in 1978, but in March of 98, it was number two movie in America. So, Grease is the word. Yeah. Do do do. I love me some Grease. Grease is the bomb. And coming at number one, what do you think is number one? Uh, I'm gonna say. Uh titanic you are correct titanic again is number one since like 1997 this movie was so long Mm. that when you bought it on vhs they had to give you it in two fucking uh, cassettes yeah like so it's so long dory love dory's my fiance those don't know she loves titanic like that's her movie but like i get depressed at the end when i watch it because i'm like all these because she let jack die she's a fucking there, bitch. there's more than enough room on that Listen, fucking door i can't tell this is this is coming from someone who like hasn't been in like i've i've dated dory i've been with dory since i was 19 so i haven't really been with like other people a lot but she fucking this guy dies saving her right don't never let go and then she gets married okay which is fine great great she starts a new life and then she dies, and the first person she sees is Jack. What about her husband that died? Mm-hmm. The fuck is he? She's a whore. Fucking should have thrown her into the fucking ocean. When she climbs on the fucking boat, when she starts to tang over, I thought she was going to jump in. But nope, she goes, oop. And then she fucking you know, lets go. You know how much that thing. necklace would be worth in, in 2022? Jesus Christ. The heart of the sea, right? Is that what she could have left that to Could have left that to your kids, Rose. Rose... You know what? You should have, because not only did you piss on your kids, you're like, guess what? I didn't love your daddy. My true love is Leonardo DiCaprio. But my true love was the only one I knew for two weeks, not even two weeks. Thank you. I am glad you because everybody that I talked to is like, oh, well, she really loved. Oh, well, it was a week. You had you had kids with this guy. You mean to tell me that you're just like, oh, yeah, let me just have sex and have a kid. Come on. The poor kids. Fuck you, Rose. Paint me like those French girls. Paint yourself. And this so, is the, this is only the second best movie that Bill Paxton was in, though. Bill uh, Paxton, yes. Bill Paxton. He was this first. The the best was Twister. Was Bill Paxton in Dumb and Dumber? No. Who is that? Who's Dumb and Dumber? He looks yeah, like Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels kind of looks like Bill Paxton a little bit. Not exactly. Anyways, so that's March 1998. We will give you April 1998 when we cover Unforgiven in your house. Um, But yeah, so now we have Pete Rose coming out, who, again, for me as a kid, I didn't really know who he was, but I know he's a baseball player, got in trouble for gambling, all that shit, right? 
Um, or no, not gambling, but didn't he like do bets or something? He was like betting. He, he made bets. Yeah. Uh, while he was a coach. And I guess he was betting on games that he was playing in, but he said he never bet against his team. He always bet on his team to win. So, so basically what they're saying is like, he could have like cheated. He could have like purposely lost. Yeah. And he, yeah. Oh, Pete Rose. See, Kane ain't playing with his ass. Kane is representing all those motherfuckers that lost money in their teammates. So Pete Rose comes out. He talks shit about Boston, Massachusetts. Doesn't he say, uh, he goes, tell me about it, right? Is that what he says? He's mm-hmm. tell me about it, right? Tell me about it. Something like that. And then Kane and Paul Bearer come out. And Kane just tombstones Pete Rose. And this is the start of the epic saga of tombstoning Pete Rose. I will say it was weird for Kane to come out and do this because why does Kane care? <laughs> you know, like my question is like, he's just been focused on the undertaker. Why is he just destroying everybody? Cause he wants to maybe, I don't know, but, there's Probably, really no but it was a bad, it was a bad move to have him come out and do it in front of a crowd that Pete Rose had been heckling just, for five minutes. Yeah. Because it's like, now it looks like he's a good guy. Cause he's taking out the dude who was just talking shit about your hometown. I fucking cheer for him. Yep. Well, this match, I didn't take a lot of notes because we did our WrestleMania, um, best matches back you should check out in our archives on youtube or wherever uh, podcasts are available check that out but the next match is the undertaker versus kane with paul bearer undertaker's entrance is one that stands the test of time in this i remember it anyone who's seen it can just remember the spectacle of it with the druids holding the fucking uh fire stakes and him walking through it um i don't have a lot of notes for this but what I will say about this match is I liked how even though Kane lost, he didn't lose like like a pussy in the sense that it took three tombstones to beat him, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. one. You literally had to take him out. And then after the match, after he loses, he destroys the Undertaker and leaves him out with a tombstone. And I thought that was good booking because you don't want your monster to get beat right away. And if he does get beat, it has to be in some way. And if he does get beat, he has to get right back up and destroy. So I like that. But what did you think of this match? And if you have anything you want to talk about that you saw, let me know. But what did you think of this match? Uh, this was definitely my favorite Undertaker <coughs> match to WrestleMania match to this point. Mm-hmm. And he had to have been sitting back there going, thank God they gave me somebody to work with this mania. Because he's been with King Kong Bundy. Yep. He's been with Giant Gonzalez. Yeah. Um. Even even the, the year prior, he was in the WWF title match with Sid. Uh, Psych- with Sid, yep. and I didn't even think that was that great. Yeah. Um. But this this was my favorite. There's a great story behind it, and this is a story that continues on for years after. Um. I thought it was great. I thought the whole thing was great. I love the fact that Kane got his heat back by laying out the Undertaker at the end of it. Um. I, yeah, I just thought it was I just thought it was great. And then Taker sitting up at the end of getting the beat down. So he kind of gets a little bit of shine. Yeah. I thought the whole thing was great. This probably if it wasn't the fact that um they were going in a different era with Austin, this match probably would have been my favorite match of the night. Yeah. I think um 
I think what was cool about it was you didn't know who was going to win this one, right? Mm-hmm. With most Undertaker matches, I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for you, but for me, like, you sort of knew, like, Undertaker is going to win. You know, I know he didn't really count the streak until, like, 2002, but, like, he was winning pretty much a lot. And so I think that this is a good opponent for him to have because you didn't know who was going to win. He did win, but afterwards he got beat up. And it does lay the foundation for the matches to come next. All right, we are at our main event. What everybody came for, well, Sable too, and Undertaker again, and the, the dumpster match. The WWE Championship on the line with special guest enforcer Iron Mike Tyson, the champion, the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels with D-Generation X taking on Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, Josh, can you just give us a little, just sort of like, I don't set the stage of what backstage is like, because we've all heard the story of Shawn Michael pos- Shawn Michaels possibly not wanting to give uh, Austin the title and lose for him. I know that there's a story of Taker, you know, backstage making sure things are going to be done right. So um, Shawn's back's hurt. He's not in a good place. He is, and he's probably on a one or two pharmaceuticals to help with the pain and maybe over prescribing himself um so he's not in a good headspace um there's stories that sean while he what during this time between mania and royal rumble that he's showing up to the building maybe a little bit more fucked up than he should be and uh there's stuff like triple h having to dress him to just get him presentable to go out and perform uh also the the entire night leading up to that you there there's video even out there you know Shawn michaels is doing pretty much nothing but stretching his back because he's in that much pain just to kind of keep it loose before he has to go out there um there's conflicting reports some people have said that um Taker went out there, taped his hands up, and sat next to in the gorilla position, waiting. So, so he watched, so Sean could see him sitting there to make sure he would do business. Uh, other reports say that he didn't show up until after even Stone Cold went through the curtain. Mm-hmm. Um, other reports are that he wasn't he wasn't at Gorilla at all, but maybe he had a stern conversation with Sean uh, prior to Sean going out and letting him know what was, what was going to happen. Uh, yeah, this, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of turmoil with, uh, Sean at this point, because I think he, part of it, we, we, we touched on it a little bit on the last episode, uh, Sean kind of feeling like he wasn't getting any love for what he had to put his body through over the last couple of years to be the top guy for Vince in the WWE. And then now that he's hurt and now that you have this new toy in Stone Cold, uh, you can just, just go away and whatever. Um, I see that. I think there I think there is something to it. Do I think Sean might have taken it a little bit more personally than even I would have? Definitely. But I, I don't know if he was uh, all completely clear-headed enough uh, to be uh, thinking straight. Well, I think too, like you made a good point because, you know, as, as I think about 98, we're in March, right? So prior to that, he was a 96 champion from March till like 
he lost it in like uh November. Yeah. To say. I mean, even even going back to the his buildup in the in yeah. the summer of '95. So you could tell the trajectory of where he was going from the summer of '95 to 96 where he's Mm -hmm. got the championship runs Mm -hmm. and then 97 Brett's coming back and they're kind of making this change to the attitude area, which he is definitely in the forefront of. I just, I feel, I, it looks like he feels like he's not as appreciated as he should. Exactly. And I think that you can see that because like you said, you brought Bret Hart. So first the first toy Bret Hart, right? So he, Mm -hmm. he, Bret Hart, whatever. Then after Bret Hart, he gets injured. Right. And then he's out for pretty much the whole 97 until like what September. Yeah. June, no, because he fought King of the Ring. So, like, back and forth, whatever. But then he finally is full-time again in, like, what, September? Yeah. And then he's out again. So I can see him feeling like I only had, like, I was champion for a couple months. Now I'm finally at this position again year or two later, and it's gone again. I I can kind of see that psyche. And if you aren't, you know, in the right headspace and you are, you know, maybe – doing more than you should be doing you're gonna automatically say this is fucked up something's wrong you know and you know what you know what's funny about this whole situation is sean is in the position now where bret hart was two years prior sean michaels was stone cold in 96 Mm -hmm. and bret hart was sean michaels so they're they're the sean and bret have this massive overlap in their careers Mm -hmm. uh until Sean or until Brett goes to WCW and this just shows it. And I think there's a, something to it. Um, but like I said, uh, Sean, I think Sean takes a little bit more personally as did Brett. Yeah. Uh, I think he took the the whole thing personally. He's like, why yeah. do you keep coming back to me? If you have the, your golden boy uh, right here. So, well, and you know, I listen, my own life, you know, this is different, but like, People use you sometimes and you yeah. feel like, why am I getting used? Like I'm, I'm taking my time, you know, and them even more, their body, their lives, they're putting that behind to make someone else money and to make them money. But if your body is hurt, if your mind's not there, if you're taking all these meds, of course, it's going to be a negative state. So I get it. I, I get it. Yeah. Looking more into it. You get and it. look at from this point on WWE paid sean his downside guarantee for the remainder of his contract so he was still getting paid six hundred thousand dollars a year while sitting at home yeah doing nothing so uh, i love when he came back to do announcing on raw though he adds a bit of fun to it he comes on a couple of bit let's jump into the match i don't have again i don't have a lot of notes for this one because i did cover it in our wrestlemania uh, best matches a while back back in march but austin wins this right he wins after a stunner. Mike Tyson counts at three. Both men weren't really feeling this one. I think, I don't know if it was Stone Cold or Sean. One of them said that they felt bad that they couldn't give the other the match that they were looking for. Well, Sean, um, Sean's back. You could tell in the match, his back's just, he's, yeah. he's doing a lot of wincing, using the ropes to hold himself up. It's not yeah. the normal pace that a Shawn Michaels match would usually go. Yeah. But you can understand he's fighting hurt, you know, like it's like you're not going to get a fucking Brett versus Bulldog technical masterpiece 
from SummerSlam 92 when you have your main event event guy is wrestling injured. It's like AEW, you know, like it's happening. But um, yeah, so Austin gets the win. Surprisingly, Mike Tyson comes and makes the count. This match did deal with some outside where they were fighting in the crowd. So they, they were doing stuff in this match. Um, afterwards, though, Shawn Michaels gets in Mike Tyson's face and is pointing at him like, you screwed me over. Um, and he ends up punching Shawn Michaels in the face, knocking him out, and celebrates with Stone Cold Steve Austin. So the Austin era is here. What do you think about the match? And then quickly tell me what you think about this WrestleMania compared to other ones. Is it one of your favorites, least favorite? Did you think it delivered? What would you think? So the uh, I'm a, like I said, I'm biased. I thought this match was really good. Uh, I know they both Sean and Steve both said that they didn't particularly like this match. It's not one of their favorites, but I thought it was great. It told a great story. They got the point across. Steve was the guy. Um, the card overall was, you know, pretty, pretty solid. There, there was a point to everything except for maybe the light heavyweight title match. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it felt like there was a direction going with each each match and uh, a reason for it to be on the card. So um, I, I think overall this I thought I thought the, this WrestleMania was the turning point in the WWE to where it was like, all right, game's on. And then what I also think it's it's funny that you pointed out because then the next night I feel like is the real start of I mean, lately they haven't been doing the best Raws after Mania. But this one, I'd say, was probably the first real good, oh, shit, tune into Raw after WrestleMania because shit's about to hit the fan. Mm-hmm. And shit does hit the fan, and we were excited to cover that. Um, what was your favorite match on the card? It was probably uh, Austin Michaels. Austin Michaels. That was a good one. I like that one, too. I'd say for me, I'd go with Undertaker and Kane because just the buildup – and, um, you know, the story goes on and on and on. And it's just it was a good start. And it's a good um, beginning for it. So that's it for our WrestleMania 14 X rated. I don't think it was really X rated. It's probably B rated. You know, I give it a B. Wasn't great. Wasn't terrible. I ate pizza when I watched it. So I ain't going to hate. I will say I did watch a lot more of growing up. WrestleMania 15 was on a lot in the background. I don't know why. But WrestleMania 15 was always on. But we will be back next Sunday or Saturday, one of those days. And we'll be covering Raw's War from March 30th, 1998. The Raw after WrestleMania. Shit hits the fan. Make sure you check out my friend Josh at Sharpshooters and Sharpshooters and Stunners. Wow, I talked really loud. Um, and yeah, we're here. Yeah. I don't know how to fucking end this. WrestleMania 14 bomb. We'll see you soon. Make sure you subscribe, like, hit the notification bell on YouTube. Leave a comment. Let us know what you like, dislike. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Anchor, uh, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Give Sharpshooters and Stunners a five-star rating. And be back. Stay safe. Peace in the street, motherfuckers. Bye.